Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. So today we have with us a man who is a repeat guest. You know, he had the uh, the temerity to come back for round two. Uh, he uh, started his career. He's a he's a successful ex advertising uh, digital media guy, kind of like myself. Uh, but unlike myself, he's actually been successful in real estate. A great guy. You know, I've actually been a, a satisfied investor with this guy to boot. And he is the managing partner of Wildhorn Capital based in the booming market of Austin, Texas. He is Andrew Campbell. Andrew, welcome back to Street Smart Success. Thanks for having me. I feel like there's some pressure on the second round to uh, add some more value, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> there's always pressure at Street Smart <laughs> Success. Anyway, well, hey, you know what? I'm just going to open up. You know, I go kind of impromptu, although I definitely have a bunch of questions I have planned, but impromptu. You and I spoke uh, mid last year ish, I think in the spring. How have things changed and uh, what are you doing now? I know that Wildhorn is just you. Um, you know, you don't have to go on to, uh, out of your comfort lo- zone, but I know we, there's a partnership structure change and what's going on with Andrew Campbell? Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a good year and a half. We've been kind of heads down executing our business plan, which is very focused on Central Texas. You know, where you mentioned I'm in Austin, we're we're based here. I'm born and raised. And that's kind of where we've really planted our flag of saying, hey, we we think we're in the best market in the country. Central Texas has the best job drivers and population growth metrics, which are the two key things to success in in uh, the habitation space, certainly, but in, in a lot of real estate. And uh, been busy and active in sort of buying deals over the last really year and a half. And we've, I guess since you and I talked, we've probably bought six or seven deals and sold four deals. Uh, so it's been transactional. Now the last couple of months have been a little bit slower with some of the market unrest and, and interest rates. And I'm sure we'll get into that, but you know, we've got a, a really good team that we've built here and again, just kind of very heads down focused on, on what we're doing here locally and in our backyard. What's the definition of central Texas? Uh, for us, it's kind of Austin and San Antonio, kind of the I-35 corridor. You know, you could go f- as far north as say Georgetown uh, to San Antonio is probably how we would we would define it, and it it continually seems to stretch a little bit east, uh, certainly as it relates to Austin and some of the toll road infrastructure. But you know, call it call it the Austin San Antonio metro. I mean, a, a lot of people predict, and it's something I you can see it happening as you drive in between that it's they're becoming sort of a big metroplex. And if you look at a Dallas Fort Worth or a you know, San Francisco, Oakland, without the without the water in between, they're just they're growing together. Um, and so there's a lot of connective tissue that's happening there. Uh, so it's called Austin San Antonio Metro. Kind of feels like in a way like San Francisco to to uh, uh, Sacramento has all become kind of one over the years. Yep. And you know, again, we don't have to dwell too much, but I know that that you know, a year and a half ago. You had a partner, you, you don't have a partner and just, you know, just briefly kind of, you know, however you weigh in and describe that or whatever, that would be great. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and it's funny. So I do have a partner and, and a year and a half ago, there were, there were three of us and now there's two. Uh, so 
going back what six or seven years ago when when we started Wildhorn, uh, Reed and I were were so the initial two partners. Um, and as of time went on, he was more and more interested in sort of uh, exploring other markets and and was living uh, remotely in LA. And as we kind of continued to have success here and build the the portfolio and business in, in Austin and Central Texas. Think he got more desire to, to explore uh, other other markets, and so it was a very sort of amicable. Hey, we want to support you, and he's supported us. And uh, he decided, kind of end of end of last year, uh, to explore the markets. I think he's he's had some success and and bought a deal in uh, maybe Phoenix and is uh, is doing well. But it was a good, you know, as far as wasn't a a bad breakup or uh, anything that was. It was kind of something we'd been talking about. It just can different ideas about geographies and, and how to scale and grow and what the future looked like for, for everybody uh, individually. You know, as a, uh, so I'm a, a passive guy and um, one of the things I love is Uber focus. And so the fact that you, so I, so I love what you're doing. Let's put it that way. It's just because it, it, in my mind, if I'm going to, you know, participate in what you're doing, it, it mitigates a lot of risk. And so when you say you've been born and raised in the market, you do a lot of deals. To me, it's like, how, how do I evaluate? And it's a function of ruthless exclusion, choosing who and what deals to invest in. And so, you know, I absolutely love what you're doing. Was it from your perspective, just that, you know, philosophically, you, you just believed in hyper-focus? and wanted to stay that way? Because a lot of guys are like, you know, all over the country. I mean, how did, I guess, what's your your position on it? And, you know, why why did you view the world the way you do? Yeah, uh, certainly, I, I think would say, really feel like real estate is local um, in that we've talked about this a lot. So my my business partner now, Cooper uh, Droner, he's also born and raised Austinite. And, you know, our, we, we joke a lot that if, if he were on this call, it may be the only time in your life you're on the on a call with two born and raised Austinites that it just... It's it's grown so much, uh, but having that local knowledge, those relationships, is really really valuable. You know, I think for us the, and we talked about it a lot over the last you know kind of a year and a half. Do we want to go and build a platform across the Sun Belt uh, and look at you know Nashville and Atlanta and the Carolinas and Florida, et cetera, uh, or really stay focused? And obviously, the decision we've made is stay very focused. Uh, it's I will say. We feel blessed uh, that we're that we are in Austin, that we are from Austin, and if we were in a different market or grew up somewhere else, may not have that same conviction and would have chosen to to expand. But with the with the tailwinds we've got uh, as as a market, it makes sense to us that you know we are we've got the ability to be in our assets every day. You know, we walk in, our managers know us, they give us hugs. I think that's important. If you think about multi specifically, I mean, you're. You're leasing units on a daily basis. You know your turn. Things are happening sort of in real time. That's that's what makes them a great investment, right? You're not having to wait three years to reset rents, uh, but your team is is making decisions, and and it's important, I think, for us that that they know we are engaged, that we're here. Um, but I also think from a from an investor standpoint, where I sit, kind of personally, philosophically, is being able to look people in the face and say, "No, I intimately know every inch of of this." market and where we're investing, where your capital's going. And here are the the things that we can point to, not just on a spreadsheet or in a third-party data report, but these are the relationships. I, kn- I know who owns that corner over there. I know what's happening. I know the rumors around the, around the corner. And that is, is really valuable, particularly it's every market is competitive. You know, And we certainly spent time looking at, at a lot of the other growth markets. You're not getting 
better cap rates. You're not seeing different returns uh, in, in these other you know, high growth markets. So where can you be special? Where can you be, be unique? And like if I showed up in Atlanta, as an example, I'm, I'm just another guy uh, buying, uh, trying to buy property. And here there's a, there's a long list of folks looking to, to invest, but we do have that conviction, those relational advantages, uh, those informational advantages that, that A, I think give us a competitive advantage buying deals and also gives us the, the ability to look at somebody face to face and say, this is why we're buying this deal. And, you know, trust me that I know what we're talking about because we are living and breathing it every day right here at, at home. On the management front, and I just don't remember this, so bear with me. I don't remember if you guys are doing it in house. Is it hybrid or you guys use third party? I just don't remember. Yeah, I, hybrid's a good word for it. Uh, so we have a third party management company uh, who's based here in Austin. They're, they've got a big national sort of program, but they're based here. But what we've done, I mean, we have I've almost call it 4,000 units. Um, so we've got enough scale with them that we've got kind of dedicated resources at the corporate level, you know, so we've got three regional managers that work exclusively on our portfolio. We've got the, the hierarchy above that. We've got the accounting teams there. So we work really, really closely with them as far as, you know, staffing, you know, so we've got 14 assets and we want to make sure that our people are, are moving and, and growing uh, within our portfolio as much as possible. Um, even to the extent that we Wildhorn have implemented a, a bonus program where we are incentivizing our managers on top of their their pay from the, the property management company. So we want you to perform. We want you to to you know do well. And if, if our properties do well and we beat our our projections and our budgets, then then we personally are going to reward you on top of that. So I'd very much call it a a hybrid solution. Um, and I think part of our reasoning for that is that the hybrid and not bringing it in house is really feeling like that. The, the management team, if you look at, at multifamily, is really how good is your manager? Is your manager really good and engaged? And you can look at your property performance and tell when you've got a really sharp manager, when they're engaged, when you don't, it suffers. Your, your, your work orders go up, your occupancy, your rent growth, everything just slips a little bit. Um, and leveraging a, a big third party who does a really good job in the talent acquisition, the training, the all of those pieces, we've got you know, 14 assets, it's not nothing, but are we really going to be able to hire and find the very best people that are ambitious and want to grow when there, there's a there's a limit on how many seats we have versus what they're able to go find and recruit and then offer that training? What allows us to, to really focus on, you know, the asset management piece, the construction management piece. And, uh, and that's kind of the, the decision we've made on property management. Hey, Street Smart listeners, I'd like to introduce a great partner for you. As you know, insurance is one of the biggest expenses on the P&L. That's why I'm recommending Assured Partners. Assured Partners helps you lower risk and therefore can save you tons of money down the road. They insure over 2 million market rate and affordable units and are the sixth largest insurance property broker in the U.S. If you want a roll-your-sleeves-up partner that blankets you with service, give Robert Band, vice president, a call. Robert thinks like a CFO because he was a CFO for many years. Give Robert a call now at 305-467-5909. You'll be glad you did. So when you say it allows you to focus on the construction piece, then are you saying, Andrew, that you guys do that apart from the third-party management source? What role do you play 
in the construction we do. So, part. Yeah, I guess the so, rehab is what you're referring to. Yeah. So the, the renovations, the rehabs, uh, we manage that in-house. We have a, a GC relationship. Uh, what again, sort of a hybrid that we've got dedicated resources with a sort of preferred GC that we've worked with for a long time. Uh, we get preferred pricing with, and we've got most importantly kind of these dedicated teams because we've always got constant work happening on the portfolio, but we don't have to carry contractor liability insurance. We're again, not having to sort of worry about and place the, the labor across the portfolio. So they're executing and working with us on executing the, the, the renovations. From a material standpoint, we are buying and sourcing all our materials in bulk. Um, so we're buying them. The, our company, Walvern's buying them in, in a batch that we're then going to get and it's going to be sold into each asset. Uh, so we get preferred pricing, you know, cheaper than we could get it otherwise buying it ahead of time. So it's available sort of instantly. We buy a new property. We've got, we've got materials ready to go. Uh, from lighting to flooring to hardware, you know, et cetera, that we're kind of rolling out across sinks, uh, everything that we need to, to execute our renovation. So we manage all of that. So you're saying you're buying it in advance of the need? Correct. So we got, again, the, the leverage, the, the benefit of, of having, you know, a portfolio of 4,000 units that is geographically concentrated. We can buy 300,000 square feet of flooring uh, and 300 light fixtures and 300 sinks and know that, A, it's, we're going to pay a cheaper price because it's going to get fabricated and built in Asia once we place the order. It'll take four to six months to get here, but we know what the, the need looks like over the next six to nine months um, once that arrives. And so it's we're just kind of buying it early. It arrives, then we're allocating it to the assets. Once that shipment arrives, we're kind of buying the next batch you can always forecasting sort of how many units we think we're we're going to renovate uh, in a six to nine month span across the the portfolio. How does that work? Where like how do you allocate against different assets? Because or is that just are you just buying that out of a corporate bucket or does Correct. it? Because I I would imagine it's you know it's got to be an expense against the, the how does all that work? I don't know if I'm making sure if I'm making yeah, myself no, clear on so, the question. So we yeah corporately we're buying it. Let's we put an order in three weeks ago. Uh, I think the total of the order is I want to say five hundred sixty thousand dollars. The first half of that we 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 pay for start the uh, the process of, of building it all. And then once it's shipped, we'll pay it the second half. Then we're going to warehouse it. And then as asset A needs, hey, we got eight units happening in the next month. We're going to kit it and eight units of rent worth of renovations show up there. That asset then buys it from us and we're not marking it up. And we're, we're it's all flowing through the property to make it efficient. Hey, man, uh, you've got some good stuff going on. You said you've made six to seven acquisitions, I guess, in the last year or thereabouts. And I know that like you described Central Texas in terms of how you, your parlance really kind of San Antonio, Austin, where, where were the six to seven? Were they, how many San Antonio versus Austin? Uh, so we had one that was kind of suburban San Antonio and then the rest were, were Austin. I think. It's interesting, and, and frankly, I'm I'm excited, and I'm interested to see what's happening with sort of market as, as things are shifting here with with interest rates. But what we had found over the last really two to three years was out of the gate, we had more units in San Antonio than we did Austin, and then it sort of evolved and it shifted where we had more units in Austin than San Antonio, and and part of that was 
our belief that that San Antonio had the pricing had just sort of really run. You had a lot of people. Austin's the shiny, sexy star that's in all the headlines. It's getting the Teslas and the Samsungs and everybody knows about nationally. You've got all this capital flooding in. And I think people were seeing prices and cap rates and things saying, that, that's too aggressive. I'm going to go to San Antonio. It's a better price per pound. But you don't have the same tailwinds. It's a great market. It's just a little bit slower uh, moving. It doesn't have the, the explosive growth that Austin's got. So we felt like it was you were leaning in and making a lot of very similar assumptions, very aggressive assumptions that just didn't make sense to us in San Antonio, uh, where we were more successful uh, buying stuff in Austin, where you were seeing these you know 25% rent growth numbers and uh, just some of this craziness. I'm hoping that we're going to see that shift back. And as, as everything, as cap rates rise a little bit and things, I won't say quiet down because, because deals are still incredibly competitive, but we'll see a little bit more opportunity in San Antonio, uh, because we do really, really like the market and, and want to kind of keep the portfolio balanced, if you, if you will, as much as we can. Got it. On rent growth. So it's now end of August, 2022. Mm-hmm. Are rents growing in in your Austin properties compared to three months ago? With you know all the you know disruption in the marketplace, they are. Um, and they haven't stopped. You know, it, it's something. If you go back to kind of the spring, it, well, if you run back a year and a half ago, it really was kind of May and June of 2021 where we just saw rents just start to explode. And so as we came into this. May and June, we were really watching what it what, what would happen. Would there be a a continued wave, or you got you know a twenty percent renewal last year? Was the market going to allow, if you will, a, a, a another twenty percent, or was it going to level off? Is that you got twenty percent last year? It's going to be you know five percent or whatever this year. And as we've gotten into August, and you're now seeing September renewals, we've not seen a slowdown. Um, you, you're seeing just continued 30% lease trade outs, our renovated units getting five, $600 premiums over the, the, the previous uh, resident that are, you know, three to four to five times higher than what we had underwritten. So we're not seeing on the, on the performance, on the, the fundamental side, uh, we have not seen any slowdown in rent growth, in occupancy, uh, renewals, all of it. You know, I think the way it, it, that we're, there was an article uh, I saw earlier this month that, it, or earlier this week, Austin had seen an additional just year to date, I think 11% rent growth from January and going back the year, it's, it's over 20, I think it was 23. And that again, just continues. I, I, we've, I'll tell you, it's obviously good news for the assets we own. What we're seeing, I think is obviously population growth continues. People continue to move to, to flood in. Uh, you're seeing as interest rates have risen on the residential side, you know, less and less people able to afford a house and, and be able to buy a house. So they're sort of renting for longer. Um, and then you're seeing a, a slowdown somewhat in the, in the residential space in general. I mean, affordability, I think the average single family home was up 35% in value just in 12 months. So affordability will, is an issue, uh, for Austin. I think very similar to what you guys have, have, faced in the Bay Area is probably the biggest macro issue we think about over the next five to 10 years. Uh, how do you continue to make a, a an affordable uh, place to, to be and, and not just a place for, you know, for wealthy elites, if you will, but we're seeing incredible rent growth right now and performance of the properties is really strong. You know, and I guess at the end of the day, 
job growth and salaries are obviously able to support. That's what's driving the ability for, you know, landlords to get more rent. I, I would just think, I mean, um, yep. because population growth is one thing, but I, it just the kind of jobs that are there that it's not just service, not just service level jobs. So people have money would be my guess. Correct. And, and, and that's, you go back to the comparison of Austin and San Antonio and where we we've struggled a little bit. I mean, it's, it's a $25,000 a year delta in the average household income. So what, what people can sustain, sustain and afford in Austin is just naturally higher from a rent standpoint. Um, and it is that it's, it's not just the number of jobs, it's the type of jobs and they are, they're high paying jobs that are, that are coming to Austin. Well, it's interesting. I think that, uh, the deal I'm in with you, which is probably a couple of years, two and a half years or whatever. I think the rents you guys were initially getting, I'm just going by memory, were like average, like 1300 bucks. And yes, coming from a Bay Area perspective, I just kind of looked at that and I thought, and, and, you know, Apple's there. And like you said, Samsung and Tesla's there. And, you know, those aren't all C-level jobs. I get that. But I'm thinking to myself, I bet there's a lot of room for those rents to go up. And, and, and what you're describing, I guess, is is exactly that. Uh, so, you know, good for you. How are you dealing with interest rates and, um, on new projects? Are you, you know, I guess project to project, I guess it depends, but are you yeah. going to be doing bridge stuff or are you looking for long term? How, how are you going to slice this? Yeah. But it, it really has been day by day. You know, if you go back the last 60, 90 days, it's kind of ridden a wave and you went, obviously the, the days of, you know, 80% leverage and some of these folks chasing just max leverage is, is doesn't exist. Uh, we've always had a, a hard 70% cap on our leverage. We won't go above 70%. I feel like the, the way you really get hurt and lose money in real estate is when you get over leveraged. Our portfolio, we're about, we're just over 65% leveraged. Going back, you know, 90 days ago, you had options that would have been, you know, a bridge. You could look at, you know, agency or life company. All the life companies just went pencils down. You know, we were looking at a, at a deal and we had like six life companies and, and we were, it was a 50% leverage deal. It wasn't aggressive at all on a, a it was a late nineties vintage. So great vintage that you wouldn't mind owning for a while. And two days later, they all just said, up where, where pencils down pausing, there was nobody there. Uh, you saw all the, the bridge kind of the CLOs went completely dark and, and couldn't, uh, couldn't put money out. So now you're seeing. Life companies emerge uh, some. You're seeing the agencies getting a little bit more aggressive in the way they're looking at things. Uh, Fannie's looking at you know your T1 uh, versus a sort of full T12 or T3 even, and looking at some even uh, 35 year amortizations, trying to get more aggressive as they look to to get some capital out. If you can find deals that have an affordability component, kind of mission driven business, they call it that that gets them even more aggressive. But we've always been, I'd say, a little bit longer term uh, focused. We haven't had a, hey, we're trying to get in and out in 18 months or, you know, program to refi and, and said, hey, it'll be a three year hold with a capital event halfway through. I think where we've been really focused lately is good, good locations and good assets, but then looking at them five to seven years and saying, hey, taking a, a, a fixed rate five year loan is a good place to be. And, those rates today are five-ish, call it, even even a hair under five, uh, if you've got the right kind of agency with some affordability component to it. So that's probably what we're what we're looking at, I'd say, on, on a value add. I, you know, one of the things that 
we haven't really touched on, but kind of as part of our decision to stay geographically focused is beginning to look at some other strategies, uh, maybe even potential asset classes. But if we're going to be focused here and we see and we're out kicking tires and shaking trees every day, which we are is, uh, and we believe in the market, looking at some longer term, you know, call it a core plus. This may be a 10-year a deal that we're thinking of. It's a 10-year fixed rate that's a newer asset. Maybe it's 2018 built, but it's a it's a different strategy. It'd be a different allocation in your investment portfolio, but it's a hedge against inflation. It's a tax play. You're going to get some cash flow. But hey, this is a not a big hard value add. It's a safe, secure place in a call it 2018 vintage deal uh, that we think will hold for eight to 10 years. So we're we're looking at more of that. We've done uh, one of those with a, with a family, a uh, single family as a partner on a newer deal, but think that that's a, a really great play. Um, and if, again, if you're finding the right, you got to really be convicted about the location. You know, we're not doing that in the suburbs that are, you know, kind of just being built that are that second ring that's, that's now happening. It's, more of these infill type product uh, where you feel that location is good today. It only gets better as we add, you know, two more million people over the next decade. A little bit about Austin, just because I don't know it. And you talk about uh, infill in San Francisco, the office market, it's just dead. <laughs> it's just dead for a lot of reasons, that you know, that are intuitive and we don't need to go into. But is the office market, I guess, what's the office market like in Austin? What's the, is that impacted in Phil within, you know, a, a five mile circumference of downtown or an eight mile or whatever the heck it is? Because what you're just describing, like what you just described wouldn't necessarily be the case in San Francisco. It clearly is in Austin because you just said it was, but maybe give me a feel for the Austin market in those terms. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. I mean, you've got, and we've, we've, let's say picked up a lot of the fang, you know, business and, and office space. So there's a, the largest building downtown that's being developed at right now, uh, Facebook or Meta leased the whole building. Obviously they've got a, I think a pretty firm work from home policy. Um, and so, you know, there's some, will that be a, will they ever have people in there or, or exactly what their plan is? But you've got, you know, Apple's got their big campus and you've seen the headlines about that sort of return to work policy and sort of what they're struggling and thinking about. Um, but you've also got a lot of the other business. I think downtown is, is, uh, feels fine. You know, we, we've built, building a lot of condos downtown as well. If you look at the skyline, just, you know, year over year, even month over month, you see these dramatic changes. There's a lot more, uh, folks living downtown. And I also think this is where the, the Texas element is, uh, we weren't, I won't say weren't concerned about COVID, but I think we probably bounced back to the office a lot sooner than other places. And so you've got most people that I know are back in an office and at least part-time, right? Uh, whatever this sort of new model is, but you don't have just armies of folks that are, that are working from home. I'd also say on the, the, the live work or the, the infill piece that it's, I don't know that it's necessarily about being super close to, the, the your job obviously that that's a, a driver but if you're you, know, you want to be close to the amenities that that drew you to Austin you want to be close to the to the music venues to the lakes to the to the trail you know that's something that that so many people like and use so it's I think choosing to live a little bit closer in versus you know a thirty minute commute which 
to you, in, in your world may not sound like a lot, but is that's kind of the world and, and probably part of the draw of, of coming here is, you know, cutting down what could be an hour, an hour and a half commute to uh, 30 minutes is a, is a decent commute here, something you wouldn't really want to have. So I think office is, is pretty, uh, uh, I don't know what the occupancy rates are, but there's a lot of people back in the office and it's not, it's not a ghost town like you described San Francisco. Interesting. Yeah, I know the San Francisco is a ghost town, period. And, and the story, it's, it's that frankly just weird. Are, are the condos, uh, that are being released, are they selling now or, or if higher interest rates stalled that at all? Or are they just, are they coming, are they being sold as they're released? Yeah, they're continuing to, to, to sell, you know, and I don't know if the latest big building where exactly where they are, but I mean, there's not a lot of, they're not struggling, right? And I think as they, they phase them out and start pre-selling them out, um, there's a lot of demand for those. And, and that's probably something that local guys, we would have gotten really wrong about just the desire and the demand to live downtown and the prices they command, both on the condo side and the, the, the multi, the, the rental side, you know, the, the, the rents they're getting at, you know, $3 and 50 cents a foot for on, on a rental is just five years ago. We, would have said you're crazy. We'll never hit those numbers. Um, and they're, they're pushing three fifty, four dollars Some of these newer buildings. I mean, they, they're underwriting clearing $4, 450 a foot, uh, in rent, which is speaks, I guess, to the desire to be downtown, the demand to leverage a lot of the, the amenities, but not something we would ever, I would have ever predicted 10 years ago. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, you've got a perspective of having grown up there your whole life too. So, I mean, it was. You know, when you were a kid, it was a sleepy town. When did Meta Inc. that uh, lease, just out of curiosity? It's been within the last, say, six months. I'd have to go back and, and find the article. I can, I'll send it to you. But it was, uh, it was, it was certainly post-pandemic. I mean, come, come, coming out of it. So pretty recently. Man, Austin's super, super hot, man. There's, there's just no two ways about it. And, uh, you know, for a lot of obvious reasons. Are you, as you kind of uh, proceed down your path... What's your take on doing a fund or not doing a fund? I'm sure you've thought about that. We have. We've debated it a lot. Um, you know, I think at this point we still feel like deal by deal is is a better way to do it. Uh, it is from from an investor standpoint. I feel like it requires us to keep our our expectations and set our bar high. You're going to evaluate every deal we do on its own merit and decide if you think it's a good deal. One of the things I guess I live in fear of is just becoming a, a, a fee-driven shop. It's part of the reason we didn't expand geographically. You, know, you build out a big team, you got a big payroll, you got to start doing deals to create fees to pay for the overhead. And I mean, we've got six people and feel like that is good. You project out the next two years, there might be two more people we have to hire, but not a big team. Part of that is the desire because we don't want to just have to start generating relying on fees. And I think when you go down the fund model, you start to get more into that space and you, and, and the deal becomes less important. And, and I think the uh, you're doing, you got to put money out, right? And and that's, it can be frustrating when we're competing against folks that have funds. And, and you know, I mean, there's a, heard about a deal this week and they, they got awarded the deal. They said, well, hey, this is, they paid a big number. This is the last deal in this fund. And we just kind of need to get it so we can close this fund and move on. You know, their investors, they heard that comment, probably wouldn't love the way that felt. But that's kind of our, our, our take on deal by deal. I mean, we, we've talked about as we look at other, you know, opportunistic things, maybe right adjacent to, to multi, but if it's a, a development deal or if it's a little corner office building we find or some of these unique things that we'll find and, and have seen in the past and just haven't done is would it make sense there to have a, a small fund, call it a, Twenty-five million dollar opportunistic fund, which you're going to spread out over several deals. You know, 
I don't know, but I think currently, at least on the big multi-projects, we've the, the the decision is deal by deal is is the right way to do it uh, for us and for our investors. Interesting. Um, I appreciate that. Well, what would you say is um, the biggest challenge you're having currently? Um, I'd say currently, just you know, if I'm speaking on the acquisitions front, the the comment I've heard from many brokers here in the last few weeks is there's a lot of buyers and very few sellers. So as interest rates have, have spiked a bit and as the, the cap rates are, are moving some, uh, they haven't moved a lot, but there, there's a lot of, of, again, demand and interest for, for, for Central Texas. There's a lot of capital that needs to get moved in place that you're seeing things uh, continue to be really, really aggressive. Uh, and, you know, sub, I mean, we've seen several deals in San Antonio that were a sub three and a half cap you know, on their trailing numbers. That's that's a lot of negative leverage. If you look at an interest rate at five or, or a bridge loan, you're at you know seven upwards of seven by the time you close. Uh, that's tough, you know. So looking at what your leverage points are and and what that total return looks like, and, and remaining disciplined in your underwriting, and that's that's probably the biggest challenge now is uh, just it's it's changed. You have, again, dynamics, market performance, asset performance hasn't changed. It's the leverage point. You know, if it was. 70% now you're you're trying to get to 60 that's going to impact returns and just the overall profile of of it but it's it's continues to be really competitive so that's on the acquisition side I'd say our biggest biggest challenge I want to go back and clarify something earlier you said uh 70% is kind of as high as you like to go I think you said across your portfolio is like 65 is that 70% that's a loan to value or what it what would it be loan to cost uh, it's it's typically been loan to cost. So if we we've routinely turned down more proceeds, we've done several bridge loans, and they said, "Hey, we can do you know seventy five loan to cost, eighty percent loan, you know seventy five percent loan to value, and all your renovation dollars financed." And we've said, "No, that's that's too much leverage." So we are that's something just from the very beginning. I think philosophically, feel like that's that's how you get in trouble. Uh, and you know the number cardinal rule is don't lose people's money and. You don't get over leveraged. You, know, you feel really good about your uh, your chances of not losing people's money, having really really tough talks. You know, we're we're looking at deals and sort of the downside on things are you know if things go really really bad on you, you're looking at a eight or nine percent IRR, not looking at zeros. Versus, I've got a buddy in the office space. They were looking at deals, and our downside on some of these office deals is a zero. You know, if if, if things don't happen, and and they're they're kind of across not just Central Texas. They've got stuff in. Nashville and some other markets as well. Um, but that's something we like about multi is that sort of safety and security. So we want to do everything we can to not screw that up and not go get over leverage is probably the fastest way to, to screw up some of that security that's built in. Losing money isn't that enjoyable. So I appreciate your conservatism. So you're, you're basically describing, which is so interesting, if I'm hearing you right, prices have not come down in where you're trading in uh, Austin, uh, San Antonio, or other parts of the country you're here, and they've come down 15%. So, but not, not you guys are still- So I would say prices on. have come, they have come down. Um, and I've seen, I think you've seen cap rates come up, but not 15%. You know, and, and I think this is where it's interesting and it's fun to be what I call an expert in one market. Uh, we're not really paying attention to what what's happening other places. You were seeing 60 days ago, Hey, seems like prices are off eight to ten percent. And brokers would tell you their their BOVs, the way they were valuing stuff, they were probably quoting at eight to ten percent off. 
But as you've gotten into these processes and there's the, on the deals that have, that we've competed on or seen or, or, or certainly watching prices are, are moving above that updated value that, that they had put out. And they're still underwriting to kind of a three and a half cap on, on the sort of low end, uh, where it might have been a just below a three or, or above a three. It had been cap rates are so tough because everybody looks at them and calculates them differently. But so I, I would tell you they're probably off you know, five to 7%, but not more than that. And, and maybe we backed off of, you know, they thought it was 10, but now you're seeing stuff play out and, and it's, it's not 10. So it's sort of beating the expectations again. Whereas you didn't know 60 well, days ago if that would happen. And five to 7% is not that much for a market that's been as torrid as it's been really. Right, um, right. Very interesting. That's where I think you're not going to see a lot of, you're not going to see a lot of like distress deals. You know, people, oh, this is great. There's going to be distress. There's not going to be distress. You may have folks that had a, they've got a loan maturity or, or a, something come up where they have to sell, but they're not at risk of giving back the keys. They're, they're just going to make a little bit less money than they would have 120 days ago. Got it. I'm so glad we talked, man. It's good to, for me to get caught up on what you're doing. What would you say uh, in the market? What would you say uh, is the the most important lesson you've learned in your uh, your multifamily career? I think continue to to stay focused. You know, and that's obviously what what we've we've done. Um, every time we've looked outside of of the exact thing we do, we've flirted with another market or a slightly different pitch, if you will. It's tended to not worked out, not a bad way. We've never, luckily, knock on wood, we've never bought something that hasn't worked out, but we've pursued some things that ended up being not super fruitful. And I think it was just outside of, of our strike zone. So as we, interesting now, as we start to look you know, beyond the, the strike zone a little bit and have some different pitches, we're being very, very methodical and, and cautious and you know we'll start small in some of that stuff but I think it's just staying staying focused and again it see multifamily and real estate in general isn't super complicated and I think a lot of people like to make it sound really complicated and you have these you get a lot of zeros behind the numbers and you get these structures that sound really elaborate and complicated but you know it's you buy something well you don't over leverage it you keep it full good things are going to happen. You know, the market may shift up and down, interest rates will come up and down, but you keep it full. It just go back over time. It, they, there's always over the right time period, a, a, an increase in value and certainly feel like with the, again, the continued growth that we're seeing, experiencing and, and will continue that it's, it's not as complicated as make it out to be. Just be consistent. Consistent attendance is a term that we've been using a lot. Some of those other things that you're toying with or considering, what are, what would those examples be that you're going and maybe you would do that? It's, it's really, it, it's tough to define. It's almost like we'll know it when we see it. Yeah. You know, and again, I think that comes back to us being local. Like there, there's an example two or three years ago, we saw there was a, it was a failed restaurant site. Um, and it was this, but it was a four acre site. We knew exactly what should be there. It's a multifamily development site. We have, Again, some informational advantages and some land use attorneys in, in our network. And we knew what that was. We should have bought that. It immediately got, we, and we could have. We ended up kind of helping partner and broker the deal a bit. We had a, a guy that we said, hey, you should go look at this. We should have bought it. It's already sold to a developer that's building multi on it. Um, it's things like that. You know, there's little office corners. Again, they're, they're going to be small. We're not going to go jump in the deep end and say, hey, we're going to go tackle a, a $50 million office value add project. 
but it'll be something when we will know it when we see it and it's got this inherent value and there'll be, could be an office. It could be a covered land play. It could be get you know, a failed restaurant site. It's just, we, you can't help but see this stuff when you're out talking to people. And that's what we spend. Cooper, my partner, he spends a lot of his time out doing that um, and just meeting with people, knowing what's happening. And as you think about the ecosystem of Austin, it's really important to know what's happening so you can make these educated bets in the multi-space because you want to be around, you know, where the cool restaurants are coming, where the the jobs are coming, who's who's talking about developing what, where. So that's that's where those will, will come out of and manifest from. So in other words, you're not out pounding the pavement looking, but your point is, is that just in the, in the course of what you do naturally, these are kind of opportunities that will present themselves and you're not completely shut off to them. Uh, you might consider one, but it's not something that you're necessarily pursuing. It would just be if, if some amazing opportunity came your way. It's yeah. We're not, not pursuing them, but we're not strategically saying, you know, a question we get a lot is when are you going to be a developer? I don't know. Like we don't have a strategic objective to go be a developer. If something happens and we head down that path, you know, the opportunity will force that not where it's not worth saying we want to go be a developer. So let's go start looking for land. We know our lane. Uh, we're going to continue to focus and execute in that lane. And, you know, if we see something else, we were not going to be stubborn enough to not look up in the windshield, but, but we know what we're doing in the, in the multi-space and that's, we're going to continue to execute there. Fantastic. Andrew, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming back. How would one uh, get a hold of you, find out more about what you're doing? Um, you know, we're website's probably the easiest. We're Wildhorn Capital is the company. Our, our website is wildhorncap.com. And we've got some, you know, all the materials on there about who we are. And you can certainly uh, give us your email and, and love to jump on a phone call with you and talk more about what we're, what we're seeing here. But the website would be the best place. What was getting Wildhorn Capital too expensive? Uh, yeah, somebody in That's Europe had it. Yeah, yeah. Somebody when somebody in Europe had it <laughs> way back when. I get it, man. Yeah, uh, my company's Becker Media. I have BeckerMedia.net because this like eccentric photographer in in Chicago got it, and I, I think he took one picture once and charged two cents for it. But meanwhile, the domain has been taken for like the last twenty five years. Yep. Anyway, Andrew, thank you a trillion, man. I, I very much appreciate it, and look forward to a. Uh, for us continuing to build our relationship. Absolutely. I'll look forward to a, a third visit here and uh, down the road, but enjoyed today a lot. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon.